0: Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue.
1: And I'm Steph, and we're the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. We
0: want you to know that this episode is going to include discussions of suicide. We're having this conversation now because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. We know this is an important conversation, but it might be too hard for you to hear. So take a pass and join us for the next episode. You know, I was thinking about Mental Health Awareness Month and how pretty much every day as a parent is Mental Health Awareness Month. So much of the advice that we hear from experts is that you know your kid better than anyone. And so the the signs to look for are mostly like changes in your kid. And I often think about the fact that I came home from the hospital with a brand new baby. And two days later, that baby did something different. And my comment would be, they've never done that before. They've never done that before, as if we had, you know, years of history together. But I felt like, this is so crazy. I was just getting used to that kid, that newborn, and now they're doing this. And is this normal? And that does not change as you have older kids. So you have a teenager and people say like, well, you know, you know your kid. But I don't know. I didn't always feel that way.
1: Yes, (laughs) especially in the teen years. They're, They're changing so quickly and if you have more than one in your household, chances are they look really different and you're a different person and you're trying to figure it out. I was, I've been thinking a lot about this since our our text about this earlier, Sue. And I was thinking that I had seen someone over the weekend. And maybe this is something that just comes with as we've parented and probably as a, a result of what we do for a living. And and I was thinking about this, of providing the safe space for our teens. And I said to this friend who's, her kid is having some health issues. And I said, you know, I'm coming to this realization that maybe our, our only job is to listen to them and be that safe space for when they need us. The default is to come to us, that the we've created hopefully an environment that they feel safe here. And maybe that's what this has all been leading toward. And I don't know. And it's you know, I'm I'm thinking about Morgan's story and what it looked like from the outside versus what was going on inside of Morgan.
0: Well, I mean, I think we're talking about every parent's worst fear, right? That you miss the signs. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously, death is the ultimate fear that we live with and drives so much of how we behave as parents. And one of them feels preventable. You know, I can't control a car accident, especially if my kid is not the cause of the accident, but either way, I can't control that but it feels like we can keep our kids safe from suicide. And that's a huge responsibility. And we talk about it a lot. And we ask experts all the time for the signs. And yet it still feels like, do you have that power? Like, do you have the power to know your kid that well, to know that when you're on the phone with your college age kid and they're
1: sounding great, that underneath it, they're not great at all? Yeah. I mean, how would you know? You know, and there's so many times where they don't want to have conversations and you're trying to put yourself out there as like, hey, if anything's going on, if anything, if you ever feel this way. And I would say in our family, those best times have come, unfortunately, when something has happened in the community or some we've heard about something and then we say to our kids, one line I've used all the time is, there is always a solution. No matter how bad it is, no matter what it feels like, there is always a solution despite what it may look like or feel like in that moment but that doesn't right that doesn't necessarily change anything
0: i think the hard the really hard part is there's no crystal ball so you know when you when you are involved in a situation where a, fi- a loved one is going through a mental health crisis anything let's just put it out there that anything if you i read the end of books right So then I can go back and I can completely enjoy the book because I know everything's going to be okay at the end. Or even if it's not, I can settle into what's going to happen. I don't have that crystal ball in life. And so I walk along, you know, wanting the rule book. I just want someone to tell us what's the rule book. And every time we talk to somebody, I want it to be consistent with the person we spoke to before. But it changes. It changes because of COVID. It changes because of age. It changes because of who your kid was before you notice things changing or didn't notice things. You know, it's like, if there were a rule book, I feel confident we would all have it. So what we do over and over again at Your Teen is try to put people in front of us who who have learned something, either from education or from personal trauma, who are out there working hard to try to give us some insight into what hopefully we never know, but maybe what we can do in advance to change the outcome.
1: Yeah, and the other thought I had is that, at a time, particularly for these teens who are changing so much and, try, and striving for independence, and as parents, we're trying to give them that independence, it almost goes against the grain to insert ourselves and, you know, take in the temperature of the water and, oh, did he throw his backpack louder that day? Did, has she been in her room more this week, right? And you're trying to give them this independence and at the same time, you've got this fear, and so how do, you, how do you reconcile those?
0: Yeah, I feel like so much of the struggle is listening to this versus this. And I, this is mm-hmm. such a sideswipe from what we're talking about. But I think for me, it was such a big moment when we went to a program together and we heard two speakers. And one of them spoke about how we have to let our kids fail because that's how they build resilience. Thomas Friedman said to us that we are losing the war in education because we are allowing our kids to settle for less. And Paul Tuff said, we have to let our kids fail because that's how you build resilience and you need resilience in life. In order to live a good life, you need resilience. And those were in the same conference. And I remember leaving there going, so what do we do? I mean, we've got like Paul Thomas Friedman telling us that we're losing because we're letting our kids settle for less and we're expecting less. And then we're supposed to let them fail in order to build this kind of armor against life. So th- I feel yeah. that way often when we when we talk about things like this. And, you know, I mean, there's got to be more than just praying. But boy, if
1: you're a praying person. It is a, a very light example. But in that example, I was like, well, which one am I supposed to do? Just tell me the one. Right. I mean, which is the right, right one. Right. Tell me what to do about COVID and tell me what to do about this.
0: I'll follow all the rules
1: you give me. Exactly. And so COVID just reminded me of something else. And we've had this discussion. I don't know if we've had it on the podcast, but how if we were to look back five years, 10 years, certainly pre-COVID and pre-escalation of mental health issues amongst our teens, you and I both said we might have played different situations differently with our kids, knowing what we know today. You know, there is so much going on today. And that just, it raises the stakes even higher, Because there is such a crisis now, you know, again, putting parents in this position of how do I do the right thing? What is the right thing? Because I want to do it. I want it. I desperately want to do it. And how do I even figure it out?
0: I want to tell you the good news. The good news in this really tough conversation is that Donna Rogers started a foundation in memory of her child. The organization is called Morgan's Message. An organization created to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health in the student athlete community. Up next is our conversation with Donna Rogers.
1: We hope you find this as meaningful as we did. the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby.
0: We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education.
1: That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children.
0: On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself.
1: Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together.
0: Today we're talking to Donna Rogers of Morgan's Message. Morgan's Message strives to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health within the student athlete community and to equalize the treatment of physical and mental health in athletes. Morgan's message aims to expand the dialogue on mental health by normalizing conversations, empowering those who suffer in silence, and supporting those who feel alone. Thank you so much for joining us, Donna. Your daughter Morgan died by suicide in July of 2019 at the age of 22. You write on the website, Morgan's message. We elevate her story to provide a platform where others feel safe to share their own be a catalyst for change within our mental health care systems, and foster a community for which tomorrow always exists. Morgan's message is clear. As an athlete, there is no shame in seeking physical health care. The same should be true for mental health care. So can we start with Morgan's story? Sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me today, and it's nice to see you
2: too. Morgan's story um, was very, very typical growing up. She grew up in a loving family. She has a twin sister, an older brother, two parents, kind of idyllic, you know, loved sports growing up. The whole family was into sports. We were close. We went on lots of vacations. We spent a lot of time together. Um, So it was a pretty typical childhood. She did excel. um, Actually, all our kids kind of excelled in in sports at one point or another. But Morgan took it to another level. That's her personality. She was determined. She was ambitious. She was kind of one of those kids where you couldn't hold her back. Let's put it that way. She pursued um, several several sports growing up, but landed on lacrosse in middle school. Early middle school, she joined a club team. And then really, she never looked back. She absolutely loved it, fell in love with the girls on her team, fell in love with the program, fell in love with the sport. And fortunately, it came pretty easy to her. So she pursued that. And then the summer Going into her junior year of high school is when she committed to play lacrosse at Duke University, which she was thrilled. This was her number one choice. We tried to have her keep her options open just in case, you know, that little safety net of you need plan B, C and D, Morgan. Um, But she was pretty straightforward bent on making that happen. And in Morgan fashion, she did. So senior year in high school, she actually showed signs of some anxiety, which was interesting to us because it was after all the quote unquote hard work was done. You know, she had committed, she was ready to go, her grades were great. Everything was just going, you know, from the outside looking in, like it was going just fine and exactly according to her plan, which we always kind of giggled about her plan. So we were a little surprised that she was showing some signs of anxiety and um, we offered to get her some counseling and just kind of talk it through because we were thrilled she came to us. And from what I learned now, I think she may have had some sort of imposter syndrome, which they say, you know, be careful what you wish for. She had arrived at a certain stage and then probably inside was thinking, you know, gosh, am I worthy of this now that I've actually reached it? So we thought that's what all it was. And and it seemed like it was. Counseling seemed to go well. She didn't do a lot of it, but she did some, you know, the second semester of her senior year. And then she went off to Duke that fall. She was ready to go. She was so excited couldn't wait to get rolling in this next stage of life. She was a very independent kid. So the last couple of years of her high school year, she was pulling away as a normal teenager would do. And, you know, we were thrilled. We loved to watch her thrive. So jumping ahead, freshman year went great, went fine. Let's put it that way. There's ups and downs. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't anything to really write home about or complain about. The lacrosse world was was don't going great for her. She had a great freshman year, um, didn't get a lot of playing time, but that was Totally expected. She wasn't expecting anything other than that. Fast forward to sophomore year, fall, sophomore year, off season, fall ball. She has a breakout season. She's looking great physically, emotionally, skill wise. I mean, she was really, really coming into her own. Everything that she had imagined college would be like seemed to be happening right then and there. So we were happy for her and really just was what, you know, her number one fan. We had two other children in college at the time. So by no means were we focused on one kid. All three of them actually played sports. So we were running around kind of chasing our tails like a lot of parents do. Beginning of spring of her sophomore year, which was January 17th, um, only 10 days before the first scrimmage when she was really hoping to have an outstanding and you know phenomenal season ahead. She blew out her knee in what would ultimately be a career-ending injury. But we didn't know that at the time it was Level three tears of ACL, MCL, and her meniscus was destroyed that had to be rebuilt. So it was, it was, you know, an ACL itself is pretty catastrophic to an athlete or to anyone. It really puts you out for a long time. But to have, a, you know, kind of a trifecta, we knew this was going to be a tough little rehab. And so they said it would be a good year before that she would have to work really hard to get back into it, but it, that it was possible. And we always, we never talked about it being career ending. She didn't, we didn't she dove into rehab just like she dove into everything else in her life. She was happy in general because she was making strides on point, on schedule. Toward the end when it was almost a year later when she wasn't quite cleared to play, she got a little bit discouraged. You know, during this whole rehab, the coach, the coaching staff and we thought it would be a good idea to get some intermittent counseling during rehab just just to keep tabs on her not necessarily therapy sessions per se, but more of like a check-in just to make sure that things were going the way that she had hoped and that she had expected. So we got her a counselor that was off campus. The counseling center on campus, she didn't really, wasn't thrilled with. We felt like it was going to be a little bit of a waste of her time. So we went another route and she went willingly. So we thought that's a good thing. Didn't hear much about it. Remember, she's over 18 at this point. So we're only privy to what she shares with us. So her grades started to slip, but we were not aware of that. She started to not turn into some assignments. She would like reschedule exams, which was very, very unlike her. This kid was kind of a type A in all aspects of her life. She was a perfectionist. So anything that kind of would slip was a little surprising to us. And we didn't know this at the time. We found this out much later. She never let on that anything was wrong or that she was concerned about anything at any time. And honestly, by March... Of 2018, one year later, she called one day and said, Mom, Dad, you want to come down? We need to have a meeting. We need to go over all the details, but I've decided to take a medical leave of absence. So we were a little surprised about that, but kind of our red flag went up. We went down pretty much immediately. We thought this medical leave was to give her a break on classes. As you can imagine, every Every school is difficult when you're injured. You've got to take some time off. You've got to miss some classes for surgery, things like that. Her physical and her mental focus was kind of what we were focused on when she came home for that medical leave. Took care of it, as usual, Morgan style. She went to some more counseling. She got physically better. She saw several different trainers and therapists here in town to keep her going. And so really, things looked great. She was so excited to get back on campus. Um, at this point she's now at what I guess is considered a super junior so she should have been starting her fall of her senior year but since she took this semester off in the spring so she's kind of like a junior and a half so we knew you know her graduation was going to be delayed a little bit which is totally fine with us. So she was ready to go back she had to actually apply to get back in and she did and all the doctors that signed off and all her physical, Doctors that signed off, therapists, everyone said that she's ready to roll. She actually needs to be there. She's getting a little stir crazy at home. She wants to get back into the world that she thrives in, which would be college and lacrosse. So she went back, I have to say, during the time that she was home on her medical leave. um, The team seemed to kind of distance themselves from her. This is kind of interesting because they're in season, which is an incredibly busy time. And Morgan is well aware of that. So she didn't do her part of reaching out to them. But I think there was a little bit of a um, silence period there. And I think it made her feel bad, but she also really under, understood that. And also you have to remember, we didn't know it, but at the time she was really battling some serious mental illness at this time. So knowing that in hindsight, one of the things, mental illness really tells you lies, tells you things that aren't true. It, it skews your perception. So if she felt like she was not being thought of or forgotten, that could have been her own perception because nothing is truly clear. So she, I'm sure she got her feelings hurt. So when she went back to school that fall, I think she was expecting kind of open arms and we're so excited to see you and we're so excited to have you back and let's just get back to where we were. Well, that didn't quite happen. There had to be kind of a weaning in back into the program and. Um, Honestly, I don't think they knew what to do with Morgan when she came back in terms of what class is she in? Is she up and ready to roll physically? Should we ease off on the responsibilities as an upperclassman? Should she just focus on her grades and maybe working out and practicing with to kind of weaning her back in? So they were kind of using that time to figure out what Morgan needed most. And um, she didn't really share what she needed, so they were kind of doing a guessing game. Right after that semester, she came out Christmas and we noticed a big difference in her. She was withdrawn. She was awful quiet. She was definitely stressed about her academics, even though the semester was over, which we thought was interesting. Honestly, at the time, this was all normal to us. I mean, she was discouraged. She was frustrated. She'd spent two years in rehab and she didn't really feel like she was 100% yet. She'd worked her whole life for this one goal, gets there and doesn't get to really fulfill it. She was still funny, she was still engaged with the family, but there were these little subtle things that seemed normal to us. I mean, she should have been a little discouraged. She should have been a little frustrated. I mean, nothing was out of the ordinary, no major red flags, but again, in hindsight, putting them all together, they were red flags. We just thought they were somewhat normal for the last two years of her life. So we we gave her her space, we didn't probe her. Uh, We gave her basically just a safe space to be her. We gave her food, we gave her compassion, we gave her family, we gave her the space that she needed that we thought she needed because that's the kind of kid she was. She pulled away and asked us to just kind of leave her alone. And so we were walking that fine line when you're, you know, 20 years old of how much space do we give you at the same time we got to give you? You can verbalize to us what you need and we'll try to give you that. So we thought, I mean it was the right decision and we thought she knew that she had our support and You know, to see a lifetime of her work just end like that, we saw it kind of as an, you know, a situation where she just needed a little bit more time to heal. So she goes back after that Christmas in January of 2019, and she calls us just a few days in and says, mom and dad, I've quit the team. And we were, I have to say we were shocked, even though probably as the story unfolds, you, you know, people may question and be like, how did you not see this coming? But we didn't. We were looking for any sort of signs that she wasn't you know, doing or thriving, and they just weren't blaring, unfortunately. So we were really sad for her when she told us this news, but if she thought it was the right decision, we definitely were going to support her on that. I mean, it was her life, and she'd already been through two years of very tough circumstances at school with the sport. So we thought, okay. So we saw it as a new chapter in a long, long novel, right? as parents, but we're not sure that that's how she viewed this decision. I mean, I think she felt like her whole life was aiming toward one goal. And now that goal was just gone. So she went back and she said, you know what, I'm not done with playing the sport. I still love it, which was shocking to us. And we were absolutely thrilled. So she joined the club team there at school and had a blast with it. The girls there were awesome. She became her goofy self again. You know, we would go see the the games and she just seemed silly again and to really start enjoying the game again and falling in love with the sport again. So we hadn't seen this kid in two years. And so we were absolutely thrilled to have her back. The academic anxiety I don't think ever subsided. When she came home at the end of that semester, Morgan is a twin and her twin sister was going to the University of South Carolina at the time and she was graduating. So when she came home for Averly's graduation, We knew she was a little discouraged, but we thought, well, maybe it's just the pressure of her twin graduating, you know, and that's a big deal. Everyone's going to ask her why, why she didn't graduate or how long is she going to graduate? You know, when will it be your turn? We weren't exactly sure, but she did express that maybe she wanted to take that summer off from classes because she was still trying to make up the classes that she missed for that semester she was gone. And we said, absolutely, you've been going to school nonstop since you've been back. And absolutely, if you want to take the summer off, we can extend your academic career for another, another semester. It's not a big deal. That's like the least of our worries. So we applauded her decision and we helped her look for a summer job, potentially, possibly even leading into a fall job. So she went on interviews. She seemed excited, but without a clear plan for the, la- for the, for the next six months. And we were like, that's fine. We have a family vacation coming up, 4th of July. We do it every year, same place. It's our favorite place. It's big, big family. And it's a great time. And we decided, you know what? Let's just get the vacation. And then we come back, we'll chat, we'll sit down and we'll map out a plan for her next six months. And if she wants to go back to school, that's great. If she doesn't want to go back to school, that's fine. She's a different situation than the other kids. So we're just going to take this situation one month at a time and figure out what she needs. So unfortunately, after that vacation, she she drove straight to school to kind of pack up her things for the summer. She didn't get them all when she came, and um, uh, that was that was the last time we saw her. We never got that conversation to have with her about the next steps. So that's her story.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing. The segue is really hard here, but we're going to ask yeah, you a yeah. few questions.
1: Of course, of course. So yeah, I'm just so sorry. Um, Thank you. In retrospect, can you identify any signs, anything that might help other parents? That's you know what we what Sue and I do is h- hope to help other parents who hear Morgan's story, hear your story, anything that you you made a couple comments as you were telling her story. I'm curious about anything you would share,
2: yeah. So I've learned a lot since we lost Morgan, which is great. But I, you know, of course I wish I knew them beforehand. So it's easier for me to give kind of some tips or what to look for now a lot easier than I could back then, of course. One of the biggest thing that stands out is parents know their kids, right? They know their kids. If they ever notice like a different or an unusual, that, which is a very key word, an unusual behavior, something that hasn't really been the typical MO of that kid, withdrawing or change in friendship groups, things like that. I mean, that's, and mind you, some of these red flags aren't necessarily going to be, you know, the worst thing ever. It's just signs of looking for some mental instability. So any kind of different, unusual or extreme behaviors, academic changes. It's really hard and tiring to deal with mental health challenges. So often grades will slip if kids are trying to keep this together themselves. It wasn't like Morgan for her grades to slip. We shouldn't have just assumed that is because she was going through a rough time. If we had dove in a little bit more, I think that the flags would have been a little bit brighter. Emotionally charged responses. Again, the word unusual is important here. Unusual irritability or anger or defensiveness, just something that's a little out of character might signal that something else is going on inside of your child's mind. You know what I mean? Something that they're thinking, that they're just not able to cope the same way. Unusual, again, there's that word fatigue. Most student athletes are tired. When they come home on breaks, they have just had a grueling semester or even high school kids after the season is over, they're tired. So it has to be an unusual fatigue. not just okay, this weekend she slept the whole time, but over an extended period of time, you just that energy just can't come back. That can be a red flag. Not sleeping. We found out kind of accidentally after the fact that Morgan wasn't sleeping at all. We didn't know that. It's really hard. You know, again, it depends on the age of the child, but you get to a point where you can't monitor what your kid is doing 24-7. So the fact that she wasn't sleeping, we weren't aware of it. You can often look and see physical signs or effects of lack of sleep. So, facial changes, you know, just looking tired, you can't hide that. Makeup does only a little bit, it doesn't cover everything. Body language, sluggishness, you can kind of, we weren't really looking for signs that she wasn't sleeping. But then again, when she wasn't sleeping, she was at school. So, we didn't really see her. So, things like that. Again, the word is unusual. You got to remember who you're dealing with, your child, you know them well. And then just unusual behavior patterns. And they don't have to be extreme, they can be super subtle but that should just kind of put something on your radar just to look out for.
0: So you took this profound loss and somehow summoned the energy to say that this, you're going to turn this loss into something huge and helpful and preventative, and you call it Morgan's message. First of all, it sounds like an amazing program, and it, it has to be changing people's lives. It just sounds so important. But can you share with us what is it? What are the goals? How do you operate it?
2: Yeah, I mean, we we think, we think we're think we having an impact in the student-athlete world. Now, we, we are a little focused toward the student-athlete, but the things that we teach or the things that we speak about can cover all different realms and pockets of people. We had to start somewhere. Being an athlete was such a huge part of Morgan's identity that it just seemed natural to start there. Not to mention that Student-athletes are under a little bit different type of pressure than your regular average student, whether it's high school or college. They have the same stresses as normal students, but then they have an additional burden. So it is a little bit unique. And under Morgan's circumstance, being a part of a D1 team, that contributed to it. So that's why we went down that road. Yeah, Morgan's message is... um, just an organization that was created by some of her really close friends and teammates and um, her twin sister and I, and obviously her family's behind the program as well. We just felt that the stigma got to Morgan. She didn't reach out and get any help because of the stigma. I mean, we're narrowing it down into a nice little box. I realize that, but it is something that started us thinking, how did a kid like Morgan end up this way? How did this happen? it shocked us all. And the more we dove into it and she wrote a lot of things down. So fortunately afterwards we could kind of get into her mind a little bit on what she was thinking. So the stigma definitely had a part to do with it. And we thought we have to eliminate the stigma around uh, mental health. And then by doing that, we would normalize conversations surrounding mental health. So it's really Morgan's message is our goals are, are threefold. It's eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health, normalizing conversations and then equalize the treatment of physical and mental health. Now, we do it among student-athletes, but you could do a dot, dot, dot and fill in any sort of community with that
1: one. Donna, will you elaborate a little bit more on what that looks like? So in in
2: our organization, one of the biggest facets of it is our education program. So it's a peer-to-peer education program that is run by volunteer ambassadors. So we have never recruited any student athlete to call us to get involved, to do this job. They have reached out to us asking if they could be ambassadors on campuses or in high schools and colleges around the country. What they do, we encourage them to have peer-to-peer group meetings once a month. They can have more if they'd like to, they can have less depending on how busy they are. They're all student athlete runs, So we know we do not wanna be a burden on them. So they have these meetings where they have friends and teammates come, and we call them advocates. They come once a month. We provide, if they want us to, we provide topics of discussion. We provide presentations. We sometimes even provide guest speakers. And really what they do is they open the conversation about a topic that seems to be a hot-button item on their campus that month or just general mental health topic conversations. They open it up. They start the dialogue, and then it's kind of just a free, safe space for these kids to come and discuss, compare notes, hugely important. They don't feel alone. Morgan felt alone. She didn't think anyone would understand what she was going through. These meetings are having a huge impact to the way these kids are talking about mental health today. And it is literally on, I think we have 488 ambassadors on. 255 campuses around the country in Canada right now. And each month, these kids are talking to a group of at least 35 and just bringing up different topics of what is the hot button item on their campus that month.
0: So Morgan's story really focuses on the college campus. I think, you do you have it in high schools also?
2: Yes, we do. We um, actually have 100 high schools that are involved in our program.
0: So it's focused on peer-to-peer?
2: A lot of the high schools require an advisor, but that's truly in a support position. They can be as active or as inactive as they'd like, but we really want these kids to lead their own groups because kids will talk to other kids.
0: So as you're putting all this in place, are there things that you can take away from what's happening on the in the high schools and on the college campuses that can help parents, that can kind of guide something that we can do as we hear this story? Yeah, I mean, good grief, regardless of the age of your child,
2: it's been found that parents still have the most influence on their children. It may not seem like this very often with teenagers. I know you you work with a lot of them and that's kind of the, the parent group that you talk to. But I mean, in between you know, the role of the eyes or the size or the, you don't know what you're talking about, they hear you. They may not let you know right away, but they do hear you. So one of the first things that I like to remind parents is, you know, be a role model for them. Role model mental health care. So if you are taking care of your mental health or you're talking about your mental mental health in front of them, that's a great role model. They see that it's not you 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 guys don't know everything, you're not perfect all the time, and that the kids are nothing but a learning mechanism. So I would say role model the mental health care yourself and then support them absolutely unconditionally, which I know most parents do. but let them know this. Let them know that no matter what, no matter what, if you don't, play this sport. If you don't get an A on that paper, or if you're not feeling good today, it's okay. I mean, obviously parents have to guide their children, of course, but as long as they know that it's unconditional and support is there, they might feel a little bit more comfortable to come to them if they have a problem. Encourage an open and honest conversation. That sounds easier than it is because as you know, as parents, we have really awkward conversations with our kids. The only thing I can say is practice. You know, The first time you mention it, it might be awkward, but the next time it might be a little less awkward. So practice, be a good listener. Kids will tell you, as I'm sure you know, some amazing things. I mean, don't talk at them. We as parents want to fix things. It's just natural. If it's broken, let us give it to us and we'll take care of it. We got that. But sometimes letting them talk things out is more effective rather than telling them the appropriate way to feel or express themselves. Ask them to elaborate a little bit. You know, like, why do you think you feel that way? Or why do you think you reacted that way? I mean, we can learn a lot about what they're thinking by asking them to kind of elaborate on their their thoughts and what they're going through. Starting conversations, like I said before, is probably the most critical. By starting conversations in the safety of your family at the dinner table, you're giving them a safe space to talk you're giving them a safe space to talk about things that might not be easy to talk about. I think it's really interesting or it's very, very helpful maybe to uh, start conversations about mental health as early as possible. And obviously it's going to be age appropriate, but you know, you can reference some outspoken famous celebrities or athletes that have come out, especially during the pandemic. We've, We've heard a lot of athletes kind of come out and talk about their own mental health. That is a great segue to get your teenagers talking because it's something that's on the news. It's something that they're watching on TV. You know, we've got Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, and just recently, Brandon Knight from the Baltimore Ravens and Calvin Ridley from the Atlanta Falcons, they just decided to sit out the rest of their football season. I mean, it's November, and they're sitting out the rest of their football season to take care of their mental health. It's a great segue to bring up to kids in, at, at dinner and just say, gosh, did you hear this? What do you think about that? Like, what do, you, what do you think about taking time off for your mental health? It's no different than physical health. You know, if someone blows out a knee and they're out for the season, no one thinks twice about it. But when someone says that they need to take time off for their mental health, all of a sudden the world stops and everyone's like, oh, what's going on? We gotta change that. We gotta equalize that that thought process so that people are looking at mental health the same way as physical health.
1: Donna, what's the biggest surprise that you've experienced as you created and have grown Morgan's Message? Just something maybe you had not anticipated when you first had the idea.
2: When we first wanted to create a Morgan's Message, it was just supposed to be a podcast. It was supposed to be a podcast to share stories of student-athletes and any sort of mental health challenges that they had experienced, because we did feel that Morgan felt alone that no one else could possibly understand how she feels. So we thought, you know what? The least we can do is start, find people that are willing to talk about their experiences and amplify them. The more we share stories about kids, just like you, it might be easier for you to say, okay, I'm not I'm not such the lone rider here. I'm not the only one that feels this way. So we kind of started that initially, but then as this education program that I described to you earlier started we were shocked and i still am amazed about how desperately this space was needed for kids had no idea how much these kids wanted to talk how much these kids needed to talk how much they wanted to get together and share their own experiences every time someone talks about a story of themselves someone else feels less alone so I think that was probably the most surprising. We weren't expecting our education program to really blossom the way it is. And it's, it's just absolutely exploded. We could have never predicted that. And as, as happy as we are that it exploded at the same time, it's very like disturbing that that's how desperately it's needed. But we're glad we can be there and kind of help these
0: kids get over some of the hurdles. Donna Rogers, thank you so much for being here with us, for sharing your story, and for doing the work you're doing. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you for letting us kind of spread the message on your platform because the message of all this has to get out to these kids. Not necessarily Morgan's message, but mental health in general. It's important and they're not alone.
1: Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone
0: who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph.
1: And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.
0: Your team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer, Michael D'Aloya, plus producer, Hannah Leach, and audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time.